0: From Transport Topics in Washington, D.C., this is Road Signs. Here is your host, Seth Clevenger. Thank you for listening to Road Signs, the podcast series from Transport Topics that explores the trends and technologies that are shaping the future of trucking. In this episode, we're going to explore how university research work is contributing to the development of next-level technologies in the transportation industry. A few examples include testing of automated driving technology and smartphone-enabled infrastructure monitoring. But what does it take to move those types of projects from concept to reality? To answer that question, we're gonna speak with two guests involved in research and development work at major US universities. Later in the program, we'll bring in Christoph Mertz, co-founder and chief scientist at Robotics and principal project scientist in the Robotics Institute at Carnegie Mellon. But first, we're excited to welcome Hui Peng, a professor of mechanical engineering at the University of Michigan and director of the City Research Consortium on Automated and Connected Vehicle Technology. Thanks for joining us, Wei.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So City operates a really unique proving ground where companies can test automated driving technology in a simulated environment that replicates uh, urban and suburban roads uh, with traffic signals and pedestrian crossings and many other features. So just to kick things off, could you tell us a little bit more about the facility and also describe the types of tests that tech developers are conducting at the site.
1: Uh, Absolutely, so MCT is about 18 acres in size and we have four lane miles of roads. And we have basically two sections, one section emulating the highway section, but it's very short uh, in length, therefore uh, people can only drive up to about 40 mile per hour. In the urban section, we actually have 13 intersections we have two roundabouts and people have been coming here to test uh, urban driving as well as highway driving. And they come in to test. Uh, uh, sometimes they just drive in a totally empty M city. So they just want to check whether the vehicle is able to detect the lane uh, lines, the drivable areas, and how to interact with the traffic signals or other infrastructures. And sometimes they interact with many other road users, including cars pedestrians and bicycles.
0: Yeah, certainly a lot of uh, different features, uh, you know, really capturing so many different concerns that a uh, developer of automated driving or uh, self-driving vehicle technology you know, all need to, to factor in as they produce their, uh, their software and their sensors and, and systems. But uh, to build on the conversation a little bit, let's talk a little bit about the different levels of automated driving. So both in passenger cars and on the commercial truck side, we're seeing manufacturers introduce more sophisticated driver assistance systems with automatic emergency braking and uh, lane keeping assist, for example. Uh, But at the same time, there are also technology companies testing and developing highly automated or driverless vehicles. So, of course, assisting the driver and replacing the driver are two very different things. Uh, From your vantage point at M-City, how do testing and development differ for driver assist versus driverless vehicles, and what do they have in common?
1: Yeah, like you said, uh, assisting the driver and replacing the driver are very different. Uh, For lower level, AEB Level 1, Level 2, when the driver is ultimately still uh, responsible for safety, uh, we usually test the vehicle's the safety in terms of uh, uh, test metrics, meaning there is a few selections of speed, relative speed, positions, and things like that. But for higher-level automation, because the robot is ultimately responsible, therefore the testing needs to be very different in the sense that usually they are not test metrics driven. They are usually uh, stochastic. In other words, you don't tell the objects that, or the AV you are going to test, what are the test parameters? You actually sample them randomly using a subset. Therefore, basically they don't really know what questions you are going to ask them or, or what kind of testing they are seeing. And we actually need to test a lot more different scenarios uh, compared to lower level automations.
0: Yeah, and let's talk a little bit more about the potential safety benefits of automated driving technology you know it's great that we're seeing more advanced safety technology become available but it only helps if the market actually adopts it you know again whether it's for cars or for heavy duty trucks so what are the barriers that you think are preventing more widespread adoption of these safety systems that are on the market today and how do you expect features like automatic emergency braking to Uh, eventually spread, and do you see it becoming ubiquitous
1: at some point in the future? So I'll answer your last question first. I do see AEB, uh, or automatic emergency braking, to be ubiquitous. Uh, Actually, Europe already literally require AEB. Uh, Other regions in in the world are following suit. I think the biggest challenge, biggest barrier is the separation of responsibility. In the past, The federal government in the US is responsible for regulating the uh, the vehicles and the states are regulating the drivers. Now when we are moving toward the situation like level four, when the robot is the driver or robot is the part of the vehicle, then the separation of the responsibility in terms of who is is responsible for the regulation become a little bit new, Uh, it's a new challenge. Similarly, liability insurance questions also becoming a a big question people are asking. So I would say the uh, clear separation of who is responsible is a big question to be answered before uh, they can be ubiquitous.
0: Yeah, certainly the the regulatory side of things uh, is going to be a huge factor uh, for uh, any form of high-level automation. And we'll have to watch that um, in the North American market in the years ahead. And I also wanna to talk to you a little bit about what all of this means for the future of the workforce. You know, in the trucking industry, I've been making the argument that automation is uh, generally going to complement drivers rather than replace them, at least for the foreseeable future. You know, even fully driverless trucks, you know, if they make it to market are gonna be designed for specific applications that are, you know, the ones that are best suited for automation. You know, they're not going to go everywhere and, and handle every job. Uh, But there is an opportunity here to improve safety and efficiency and potentially make the driver's jobs better. And that's important because when you look at the industry today, uh, the biggest challenge that trucking companies face is recruiting and retaining professional drivers. There's a driver shortage and driver turnover rates are extremely high, uh, especially in long haul trucking. So that's my take on this. But, you know, how do you think automated driving is going to affect workers in industries like commercial trucking? in the years and decades ahead
1: that's a great question Uh, as an engineer myself i do believe technologies must be developed to uh, benefit the whole society for as many people as we could and the technology should be used judiciously not just blindly Uh, we're not trying to make money in fact most technologies should try to make our life better easier safer and so forth So, starting from the lower level technology like AEB or or, or adaptive cruise control, lane keeping assist, things like that, should make the truck driver's job easier, safer. In the meantime, when we start to imagine a world when the robot driver can totally take the responsibility, we must think about a future when they are used judiciously and really benefit. Uh, Like you said, the the turnover ratio in the uh, heavy truck industry is is extremely high. I I have seen statistics as high as 90% per year. Uh, That means basically people uh, would prefer not to leave their family behind and going from coast to coast and spend many days or even more than a week away from their family. So if we start to imagine how the technology can be used uh, to replace uh, uh, the truck drivers that who do not want to drive in those routes or uh, e- whether they are long or dangerous, uh, those are the better place to start. Uh, it, it takes uh, some wisdom to make sure that technology and societal benefits are um, one in the same and not uh, contradicting with each other.
2: From time to time, an issue commands so much of the industry's attention that it requires a deeper dive, a resource readers can turn to, a Transport Topic Special Report. We're turning our attention to another big issue, electrification and the key factors that will drive this industry trend. In every case, we're working to provide our readers with information, analysis and clarity on key issues confronting fleets. One comprehensive resource packed with insights that can give you the edge. Transport Topics invites you to learn more about our special reports. To reserve your copy of the latest special report, visit ttn.ws
0: forward slash electrification. Does automated driving technology fascinate you? Are you intrigued by smart infrastructure management? We'd like your help. Transport Topics' quarterly technology publication, iTech, is going through some changes and we want to invite input from tech listeners like you. While the knowledge and expertise will remain the same, we are going to pull iTech out from the pages of the weekly edition and make it a standalone resource for trucking technology experts. So we're wondering, how can we build the best resource for you? To share your insight, complete the survey at ttn.ws forward slash technology 01. One question I wanted to ask you about because uh, M-City has also been, been testing uh, vehicle to vehicle and uh, vehicle to infrastructure communications. Now, I wanted to to ask your your sense of where where the future lies. There, you know, there was a, a regulatory proposal to mandate this type of technology in new vehicles in the United States, but it's never really taken off. And uh, last year, the FCC reallocated some of the wireless spectrum that had been set aside for transportation safety. Uh, so what prospects do you see for V2V and v x technology moving forward? Uh,
1: like you said, the 5.9 gigahertz spectrum was uh, set aside for uh, ITS or transportation safety use since 1999. But uh, in the, uh, at the end of last year, <clears throat> FCC announced their new plan to uh, reallocate the spectrum. So giving some spectrum to the Wi-Fi use and others very limited, only three channels left for the transportation safety use. Um, Obviously, people have invested in this technology for many years. And uh, as a matter of fact, Ann Arbor, MCT, uh, of University of Michigan in general, we have uh, developed the world's largest uh, DSRC living laboratory, more than 2,500 vehicles and more than 60 intersections. So we have demonstrated the potential benefits of V2V or V2X technology. Now, going forward, if the spectrum is not enough, I think many companies, uh, industrial researchers from the academia will look beyond the 5.9 gigahertz and start to think about other ways of uh, low hanging fruits or the best uh, first day applications using other alternatives. Uh, Obama administration at the end of 2016 did propose a FMVSS 150. Potentially, that can can be mandated. And this V2X technology will be best uh, deployed if all car companies are on board. Uh, No company want to be the first company buying a fax machine uh, because they cannot fax to anyone else. Uh, Similarly, uh, most companies are saying, if it's mandated, we'll do it. If it's not, we we rather other car companies or trucking companies do it first. Uh, that's the, that's a dilemma, and that's really a challenge for V two X. So I think uh, government should uh, make it uh, a stable regulatory environment and making sure that companies are confident in investing in this uh, amazing technology.
0: Sure, and uh, to your point, if uh a vehicle is equipped with uh, vehicle-to-vehicle or vehicle-to-infrastructure communications, but uh, none of the other vehicles on the road are. It's, uh, you know, the vehicle is talking, but nobody is listening. Uh, So it it only works if, uh, you know, many or all vehicles uh, are using the technology. Now, uh, you know, one of the unique challenges that we've all been facing over the past year uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic has been, you know, the need to social distance. And, you know, most people have spent at least part of their time working from home, uh, including me and my colleagues at Transport Topics. But I'm curious how that's working uh, for automated vehicle research uh, at, at City. So how have you been handling the situation? And you know, to what extent have you been able to continue testing while still following those uh, social distancing guidelines?
1: Isn't that a great question for 2020 or 2021? So MCT is recently small. We have a team of 11 people. And uh, most of us are still working from home still today. Uh, But the MCT test facility that we are opening to the outside or or internal researchers for testing, we started by actually uh, um, trying to adopt a a frugal measure. Uh, We try to automate everything. So so as a matter of fact today, uh, the users can press on a button on their smartphone or PC uh, browser they are open to open the gate. They are open, able to trigger the traffic signal, pedestrian crosswalk, the railroad crossing, uh, and opening the garage, for example. Everything is contactless. In other words, we don't really need the MCT team to interact with the users necessarily. So we started doing this all because we want to save uh, the cause. We don't need to hire somebody a guard at the gate or interact with our uh, users. It turns out all this uh, technology development uh, paid off. Uh, When COVID hits, we were one of the earliest units within the University of Michigan to reopen our door to outside users and people can test very safely because of all this technology development.
0: Well, it's great to been hear you know to hear that you've been able to to make it work you know, even you know with the, the current challenges that we've all been going through. Uh, we've you know at Transport Topics we've we've had to uh, figure out uh, remote publishing very quickly. Um, so we've all been experiencing this. But uh, before I let you go away, I'd like to ask you a, a final question uh, about the future of automated driving technology. You know we've been discussing this throughout the the conversation, but What's your best prediction for how this technology will change the automotive industry over the course of the next 10 years?
1: Uh, absolutely. It will change not only the industry, but also the society, uh, automated or electrified, uh, technologies are very expensive to produce and need to scale up quickly, and that's why you see a lot of, uh, Alliance, uh, among the companies. Uh, they used to uh, think collaboration is the last resort, but now they embrace uh, collaboration. So you see uh, many OEMs or first tier, they start to work together on um, both automated and electrified technologies to set, to make it uh, faster and cheaper for both or, or all of them to, to move forward quickly. In the meantime, they also embrace the idea that autonomous vehicles will need to be shared fleet uh, first, rather than individually owned. Therefore, uh, it's going to change the society, because the ownership model is going to change. So both of these uh, factors uh, will change the industry uh, in the next 10 years dramatically.
0: And it'll be fascinating to watch in the years ahead. Um, and uh, I'm sure that you'll have a, a front row seat at City as uh, all this technology continues to develop. And, uh, and we see it not only in the test site, but also increasingly out on the road. Uh, this has been a, a great conversation, but I think that's a good stopping point. So we'll leave it there. Thanks again for joining the podcast and sharing your insights. Okay, thank you very much.
2: In times like these, it's crucial to stay informed. Transport Topics is offering all the information you need to make business decisions in these unprecedented times. And in the wake of the many event cancellations and group gatherings, TT ensures a virtual way to consume business content and conversation. To join the conversation and stay ahead of the news, follow Transport Topics on all social outlets or by visiting ttn.ws. Forward slash stay informed.
0: Next on Road Signs, we're excited to welcome Christoph Mertz, co-founder and chief scientist at Robotics, and principal project scientist in the Robotics Institute at Carnegie Mellon University. Thanks for joining us, Christoph. Well,
2: thank you very much for having me here.
0: Now robotics has developed a system to assess roads and infrastructure by using a smartphone app to capture imagery of potholes and cracks and you then provide that information to local governments so they can make data-driven decisions about their infrastructure. So this is a really interesting approach to improving roads. Tell us a little bit more about how it works.
2: Yeah, so we wanted to make it very straightforward to use, and uh, but also at the same time, very accurate. So uh, using smartphones, you know, smartphones, uh, you find them anywhere. You can just order them online. And so any new customers we have, we can easily get them uh, the recording device. And uh, you mount it on your car or truck or so, just like you would your dash cam, and points outside in the front of the vehicle. And then uh, it's recording videos of the road. And uh, then we have a second app. So you'll have a second phone, which uh, has a navigator in there. So you will then navigate all the roads of the area you're interested in. Then these GPS stamped uh, videos are then uploaded to the cloud, where then the... Heavy processing is being done, uh, so we analyze them, find, uh, score them on how good the roads are, and find potholes or uh, sealed cracks or, or, or things like this. And then once this is analyzed, all the results are shown to the end user uh, as a map, where you can click and look at the images. So uh, things are color coded, so you will see the map. You know, if, if all the roads are good, then. The, the map is mainly green if it's bad and you know yellow or, or red. So someone can then easily look at it and uh, judge where the biggest problems are. and if there's a certain area where there's lots of red and so lots of damage, they can click on the images and see exactly what is going on there or if they you know planning to, to repave it, they can look at the images and see if there's like a sidewalk and, and other issues they need to be concerned about when they do the repaving.
0: That's no, a really interesting, uh, approach again, using modern technology to, to help solve this age old problem, you know, much better than I think the traditional means of, you know, calling your elected officials or, uh, you know, whoever it may be to complain about a pothole in your neighborhood or, or on a road that you, uh, travel on frequently. And, and that's, uh, often how it's, it's done across the country is, you know, uh, sort of on a one-on-one complaint. Yeah, it's, it's, a. Uh the big issues like
2: a big pothole you know people will call in uh but the the checking of all the roads that's usually done by a person you know very often done by a person just walking um up and down the roads and that's a very tedious and exhausting uh, uh, um, process it usually takes a long time so this uh our method will is is more accurate
0: and much easier to do. Now, Christoph, you've been conducting research that involves using machine learning in conjunction with public transit buses as well to co- continuously monitor infrastructure. So tell us a little bit more about that research and how do you envision using that kind of data in the future? So the, the, the general idea is, is similar, like there
2: are, you know, cameras are easily available uh, in many different forms. And uh, one form is that they are on uh, transit buses. They have it on there for uh, safety and liability uh, reasons. So if you know an exit happens or, or vandalism happens, so they have the re- record on um, what happened and they can deal with that. So these cameras are already on the bus and there's also recorder on the bus, which is actually a computer. So that means all the hardware is already there So we at CMU developed some programs where we can upload that onto that computer. And then we get these video streams from the cameras looking outside. And then we look for interesting events. Um, So interesting can be, well, again, infrastructure. We can look at traffic signs or even potholes, or uh, we can look at the traffic, uh, like how how good or how bad the traffic is. If there are some constructions, something we also want to do here in Pittsburgh, there are lots of landslides because of the uh, geography. So we want to take those images and you know look at the side of the road if there's any indications of landslides. So uh, and because the bus is driving all the every day. I mean, the bus, we have it on there right now, drives uh, twice a day. Uh, it's it's like a commuter bus, drives twice from uh, Washington, PA to Pittsburgh. So we'll have pictures of, of the area twice a day. And we can then, on the bus itself, because it's so much data, it's like five cameras, we will look if there's anything interesting. And if there's something interesting, we'll send it to um, a central server where then it's analyzed more. And, and then again, it can be displayed.
0: Sure, there's lots of different, potential uses for this infrastructure data that you're capturing uh, beyond simply, uh, you know, upgrading and improving uh, the infrastructure. Uh, So can you take us through a few examples? And are there also examples of how to use such data specifically in the trucking industry?
2: Yeah, so like the very general goal is, right, to have the best knowledge, up-to-date knowledge of the road, the traffic, everything, right? So then you can do optimized planning and um, and maintenance and, and and all that. So for for trucks or for, for cars of course uh, it would be interesting to know when there's like a construction and then you maybe you reroute your your, your truck um, or the the traffic have fine-grained knowledge on how the traffic is so you can better predict uh, how long your trip is going to be and, or again uh, reroute yeah having that on a bus for example you know after a freeze thaw cycle uh, you want to know right away where the um, potholes are or where potential new potholes could uh, emerge so again there you on uh, a very timely manner you can know what, what's wrong with the um, infrastructure and also one thing which is becoming more and more prevalent uh, is you know we're we're going towards autonomous vehicles right? So, and for autonomous vehicles, you do need a very accurate map, it's a high definition map, and this map needs to be updated. So each time, you know, they paint new lines on the road or they put in a new intersection or uh, put a new lane or new bicycle lane in there, you want to know it so that you, uh, so that the autonomous vehicle knows where it can drive or not. So that's HD map update. And again, this is something you want to do on a very timely manner. So immediately, when as soon as, as they reconstruct the, uh, the the road, you want to know how it looks now, and then update those maps.
0: No, it's very interesting. And you know, right now your your research involves transit buses, but we're seeing some of the same trends in commercial trucks with onboard video becoming more and more prevalent. So I'm curious to hear if you see potential uh, ways of applying this infrastructure monitoring system to heavy duty trucks, you know, especially out on the interstate. And and what are the you know potential benefits and challenges to bringing a system like that to the trucking industry?
2: Um, absolutely, I mean we we chose transit buses because we know that system is already there. It's also you know easy uh, to reach, and they are driving on a very regular basis uh, on, on on the same routes. But it can be any car having cameras looking at the outside, and certainly uh, trucks. They would be able to deliver data from, you know, long haul on the, on the interstate. And I mean, depending on what what the system is that it's already on there, it might be very fairly straightforward. So I mean, as I mentioned, uh, the system on on the bus, all the hardware was already there. What we had to do is put uh, additional software on there. So depending on what what the uh, the the hardware the cameras and the computing and the recording is on the truck, it might be fairly straightforward. Or, you know, or if they know that they want to use it in the future, then the next generation of those systems can have enough compute power to to uh, do a system
0: like like we have. Okay. You know, I'd also like to dive a bit deeper into how you're using machine learning at robotics and, and in your research. You know, machine learning, of course, is is really one of the big trends that's driving the future of software development in many industries. But explain, you know, how it applies to the work that you're doing specifically.
2: Yeah. So when you have those uh, video cameras and which give you, you know, those video streams, you need to analyze them. Meaning you, if you're interested in traffic signs, you need to train a detector to recognize those traffic signs. And then if you want to go further and say, well, you also want to know if this traffic sign is, is damaged or um, is fading or, or something, then you need to have uh, uh, even more intelligence uh, on the computer to, to recognize all this. And in our case, we also have to have different versions of, of these detectors because the compute, computing on the uh, vehicle itself is still limited. You have just one computer there. You can't have, you know, a a full uh, desktop there or even a a full cloud computing on there. So you have to have a detector which is smaller and more efficient so it won't be as accurate, but has to still be accurate enough to recognize all the things you're interested in. So, but, you know, what, what I just mentioned is... These objects, But you want to also go a step further and actually analyze the whole situation. So you want to look at the traffic and say, is this traffic which I'm seeing just the normal, usual rush hour traffic, which is, you know, we see every day? Or is something um, either interesting or dangerous or, or unsafe or whatever uh, going on? So you have, we also want to train systems which can recognize unusual events.
0: No, that's a, a great example and another application for machine learning. Otherwise, uh, be a lot of work on the back end for for somebody to to look at. You know, it's a, a lot of uh, a lot of video to review, and, and nobody has that many hours uh, to do that. Um, so, <laughs> um, before we let you go, Christoph, I, I always like to end on a, a crystal ball question. So, you know, I, I'm curious to hear what you think about this. Uh, what's your your best prediction for how Uh, technology and and just the continued advance of technology is going to change transportation and transportation infrastructure over the next 10 years?
2: Yeah, that's a very good, uh, interesting question. And with any technology, you will have first, uh, you are amazed on what it can do, and you're all excited. And then after a little bit, then you also recognize the limitations of the technology. And so I, I do think that you know, all the, the, the machine learning, the computer vision, which we have will enable us to do things like autonomous driving, but it won't be as easy as, as we think it should be. And there will be, for example, I think at first we will see autonomous trucking on dedicated lanes. And and the reason for that is that it makes the problem much easier. If you don't have to worry about, you know, children crossing in front of you or about traffic lights or 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 something, but you have your dedicated lane where you know it's only your uh, autonomous vehicles on there, it makes the problem much easier. So that is one way um, where I can see that, for example, the uh, autonomous driving will uh, uh, appear. So that would be like on the interstate, you know, a dedicated lane, like you have the HOV lanes right now. Another way to make things simpler is to to slow everything down. And that would be um, autonomous vehicles or maybe just autonomous robots uh, at very low speed. If you have delivery robots or delivery vehicles, which only drive up to 15 miles an hour, then it also makes things much easier because at that speed it's almost impossible to, to, to injure or even kill somebody. And um, it's also, everything is much slower so you can have much more time to, to detect things. Also, to to stop, you can almost stop on a dime, so it makes things much simpler, much easier. I see those things appearing in the next ten years or so, and only after that we'll have like uh, autonomous vehicles which which drive on all roads in all circumstances.
0: Yeah, well, I think it'll be fascinating uh, to watch, and uh, for uh, folks like you who are active in research and development, uh, it'll be uh, you know fun to see. Uh, you know, the the many ways that uh, you'll be applying technology in the years ahead. You know, this has been a a really good conversation, but uh, I think we're a little short on time, so we'll leave it there. Uh, Thank you again, Christoph, for for joining the podcast and sharing your insights.
2: Well, thank you. It was a lot of fun, and uh, this is certainly a very, very interesting time uh, with all these uh, new technologies, and it's very exciting. Did you know you can ask Alexa to open Transport Topics? In just one minute, you will hear the biggest trucking headlines of that day. Be prepared and start your morning off right with Transport Topics.
0: Before we close, let's take a moment to revisit our original question. What does it take to move emerging technologies from concept to reality? As you've heard during this episode, it takes work to bring new technologies to market whether it's something relatively easy to deploy, like a smartphone-based road monitoring system, or something highly complex, like automated driving capabilities. And university research is often part of that path to deployment by providing a venue to put new technologies to the test or serving as an incubation zone for new ideas. If you've enjoyed this episode of Road Signs, please let others know. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If my questions have sparked questions of your own, share them with me and the Road Signs team you can email us at share at ttnews.com. We'll read them and respond daily. And of course, we'll be back in two weeks with a fresh episode of Road Signs. Until then, I'm Seth Clevenger. Thank you for listening.